Amen. Well, church, it's such a pleasure to have been able to kick off our most recent sermon series, just a very brief three-part series on Psalm 119 this past Sunday. Uh, Derek, thank you again for preaching for us on that first section, Aleph, uh, that Hebrew letter for A. Now here we're going to be arriving in verses 9 through 16 this morning, the Hebrew letter B, or Bet, if you will. I have a question for us as we begin to approach this text, though. A very basic question. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, immediately you might realize, okay, this is very familiar. I've heard this line before. In fact, it's right there in our passage this morning, the opening line. How can a young man keep his way pure? And so if you read along, you'll see the answer to it, of course. But imagine as if you had never heard anybody ask you that question before, let alone here in the church. How can a young man keep his way pure? If you hear that, a few things might come to your own mind. First of all, if you're thinking of a little one, a child or a teenager, you might think, well, you know, by listening to their parents, they can kind of help to keep their way pure-ish. You know, they might rebel a little bit, but it can actually help guide them in the way that they should choose. And that's partly true. Or you might think in terms of us as adults, you know, if you heed to the authority of those over us, you know, employers or those in government over us, leaders around us, it can help keep your way pure. But in that same sense, there might be a sense of skepticism that immediately, as for me, came to mind. When you hear that phrase, how can a young man keep his way pure? Your answer might have been, uh, there is no way that a man can keep his way pure, let alone a young man. I mean, given all of the snares in this culture, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life that so easily entangle all of us collectively, let alone those who are younger, how can a young man ever keep his way pure? The curious thing, though, is that in this psalm, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, our passage, it actually does give us an answer to these things. And he says this, essentially, a young man can keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word, to God's word. Now, last week, Derek kicked off our, again, brief three-part sermon series going through what I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek calling the ABCs of the Christian life, or if you want to call it the foundations of the Christian faith, ABC, the first three letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, Beth, and Gimel. He kicked this off for us. And he mentioned last week that this poem, if you will, is truly poetic by nature. This psalm, in many ways, is an actual acrostic. And every line, if you were to see the Hebrew, begins with the first letter, of the Hebrew alphabet, followed by the second, third, and subsequent. And so this psalm that is also in many ways a poem was designed as such to be something that is easy to memorize. It's meant to be something that is able to be learned by children and by new believers alike. And so it uses almost a pedagogical tone a way that is easy to learn and to memorize. And so this psalm is both thought-provoking by nature, even for us who are older, and yet it's also there for kids to learn even at their own age. It is instructive 
or catechetical, if you will, like a catechism, asking a question and immediately answering it. Here's your question, here's your answer. And this is why that opening line of our psalm, Psalm 119, verse 9, begins right away with that question and answer. For it is meant to be heard and taught and shoot upon and taken to heart. And so I'd like to encourage us, just like it was designed for the ease of use for children to learn the law of God, to also approach this text of Psalm 119 as though we ourselves, because we are, are being instructed by God, our Father in heaven. And so with a posture of humility, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and uh, receive this word as instruction, as a father speaking to his child. And so let's come before God's word with that same sense of humility and an eagerness to learn from him. The word of God says this, how can a young man keep his way pure? And the answer says, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. It's the word of God. Praise him. Let's come before our God in prayer as we just prepare our own hearts to now hear just this word expounded for us this morning. Let's come before him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word to be heard, to be taught, and to be listened to. We know that it is forever faithful and true. It never returns void. And so, Lord, I ask that you would use this word by your spirit through this, your vessel, your servant, to speak the truth out of a heart of love for your people. God, I thank you that you have given us this word to be cherished, to be held on to, to be clung to, and to be hidden in our heart so that we might not sin against you. Lord Jesus, we ask that as your word is preached, that you, O Christ, would be exalted, and that I simply would get out of the way, and that you would be the one who is front and center, leading us in the worship of you, all to the praise of your glorious grace. And we pray this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, church, I'm sure you've already noticed this, but as I was reading this psalm, and as you have it right in front of you, this is entirely an all-too-personal psalm. It's one that comes right from the very heart of the psalmist who is singing this and who's written it down for us. Now, as you might recall, last week we began this series going through Aleph, and again, here we are in Beth, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But if you remember the actual themes and the the items of discussion that Derek was talking about last Sunday, 
there was this dual theme there, even in the first eight verses, of both blessing and devotion. Blessing from God, our Savior, and devotion unto him as the very Lord of our lives. And these two dual themes of blessing and devotion, both God's grace and our response of faith, if you will, to God's grace, are continuously present all throughout this second section of Psalm 119. Grace and faith, or blessing and devotion. And so I want to separate out the psalm this way because we can see here an emphasis on blessing in verses 9 through 12, which will be our first point for the morning, and verses 13 through 16, devotion. Blessing and devotion. Now I think it's important to note before moving on too quickly into developing these themes of blessing and devotion that God's blessing or his grace upon our lives, chiefly through Christ, salvation and all that is in Christ, is never in response to our devotion. We know, of course, as simple as it is, and all of the word proclaims this to us, that it is by grace we are saved. Not of our own works, not of anything that we should ever boast, but rather grace. And even that that faith that we have in Christ is yet still a part of that wonderful gift of grace. So in essence, our devotion is not something that can be contrived within us. As we approach this psalm, I want to emphasize that. But rather, devotion follows blessing. Blessing must come first. To illustrate that idea a little bit, um, think, if you will, of the family dynamic. Think of a young boy or girl who is, they've known the very love of their father and mother. They've known the blessing of being in a wonderful family. And as a result of this relationship, they then feel a sense of obedience and devotion to their parents. Or to illustrate another, in another way, like a colleague or a friend, a co-laborer, who has a special relationship with you, they might instruct you and they might show favor and kindness toward you by giving you their honesty, their trust, their allegiance. And as a result of that wonderful blessing that is a friendship or camaraderie comes a responsive devotion back to them. Now, of course, even these two analogies of a workplace relationship or even a family relationship pale in comparison to the blessing and the devotion kind of relationship that we have with God. For God, our Father, is the one who loves us with an everlasting love, who from before the dawn of time even purposed to save us, a people, for his own possession. And even in spite of our shortcomings, our waywardness, even the doubts that we face, the things that cause us to deviate in our paths away from him, Nevertheless, his grace and his blessing remain unchanged. And so we can rest in that. It says that hymn says, that wonderful hymn, Christ the Solid Rock, it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly rest on Jesus' name. And it's that kind of responsive relationship that we have of devotion in response to grace or blessing that is so important for us to understand here in this psalm. 
And so I believe it's important for us to come to it with a mindset of grace and faith, blessing and devotion. Now what's interesting is that when you come to this psalm, this arguably has a kind of a household analogy or household language going on here in this psalm. And if you have, uh, as I see uh, everybody has their Bibles right in front of them, but if you look at it, you might realize, okay, I don't see the word house in here, nor do I see anything about, you know, brick or wood or stone, things that might be used to build a house. So where is the actual household language here in Psalm 119, this section, Beth? Well, ironically enough, the word is actually staring us right in the face. The word for house. See, that Hebrew letter, Beth, B, has a dual meaning in Hebrew. It doesn't just mean be, but it's actually the same word for house in Hebrew. Think of like around Christmas time, you know, we sing of Bethlehem, and you might know and recall even that Bethlehem literally means house of bread, Bethlehem, house of bread. In the same way, this, these verses here, beginning with Beth, every single line that begins with that B or that word for house as well, basically stares us in the face. And as the psalmist was putting this together, he, I'm sure, could not help but see house, house, house as he was writing this. And so as curious as that, though that word house might not be obvious to us in the English, the idea of building a spiritual house, a figurative house, the house of our very lives, is right here in the text. And it's right here throughout the whole section. And he provides us with fundamentals upon which to build our lives. But it begs the question then, well, what are those fundamentals of our lives to be built upon? What are the fundamentals of the faith? What are the ABCs or the building blocks of our lives here for us this morning? Well, listen to the answer because he says it right here. Again, he says, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how can he build the house of his life? by guarding it according to your word. See, essentially, to build a life of faith-filled obedience unto God, we must first, again, as a response to God's blessing, build our lives, the house of our lives, in such a way that we incline our hearts before God in every moment. That we incline our hearts, the very core of our being, unto God most high. He says this, with my whole heart I seek you. My whole heart, the very fiber of my being, everything about myself is built, it's contingent upon a foundation, the foundation of Christ, the solid rock upon whom we stand. And so he essentially argues that, you know, unless we are guarding our lives according to the word of God, unless we are even coming at it with a sense of heartfulness, my whole heart, we cannot properly build our lives. But he doesn't just stop there that, oh, I need the scripture, I need to be meditating upon it often, I need to be meditating upon the blessing of God. He goes on and he says this, let me not wander from your commandments. And right there is a very heartfelt prayer before God. He's essentially saying, if I were left to my own devices, if I were left without the counsel of God, his entire word given to me, 
I would deviate from the path of righteousness. Apart from meditation upon scripture, upon the goodness and grace of God in the gospel, I will deviate. I will wander from your paths. And so he says, let me not wander from your commandments. And so right there we see these building blocks of scripture and prayer immediately as the ABCs of the Christian life. But he continues on. He says, essentially here in a very heartfelt cry that is marked by more than just an inclination of the heart toward God's word and even toward God himself in prayer, there's this sense as you continue on in verses 9 through 12, as he's mulling over the blessing of God, he says essentially that, well, he's coming from this place really that there is this reflection that needs to be had a reflection upon all that is in Christ and yet also a purposefulness and an awfield wonder before God. He says this, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. There's his purpose. He says, I do not want to sin against you. And yet here's this place of awe. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And so essentially right here in these first few verses, we see the need for scripture, prayer, and worship. All three core fundamentals of the Christian faith right here in these verses. Scripture, prayer, and worship. But as we hear the heartfelt cry of this psalmist, I can't help but wonder, and I'm asking this of myself too, but do we individually pray in the same way before our, Father, before our Father in heaven? Do we ourselves hold on to a keen sense of our own dependency upon God in all things in life? Do we ourselves hide God's word within our heart and treasure it in such a way that when the sinful temptations of this life come, and they do come moment by moment, will we stand readied in advance because of that sweetness of communion with God that we enjoy through his word and prayer and worship that have been cultivated in our daily walk? Will we be ready in the day of trouble for those things that come up against us and cause us to be tempted and allured, led astray by those very things, away from beholding the majesty of God? See, if we are so led in such a way, away from God, it begs the question of us. What are those things individually in our own hearts that cause us to go down a path of deviance as opposed to the path of righteousness? What are those things within our own souls, personally speaking, that cause us to treasure something essentially other than Christ our Savior? As Christ taught his disciples in Matthew 6, he says this, and it's important for us even here in this psalm to recognize where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. He says this because these, again, paths of deviance, these things that cause us to be distracted away from God and his law and his goodness throughout our lives, things that cause us to have unsettled spirits, these are all things that are ultimately led astray by competing treasures within our hearts rather than the treasure that is Christ. And so again, this question 
is one of a heart analysis. What are those treasures that we are valuing in our life more than Christ? Or to put it a different way, what are the things that we are choosing to build our lives upon rather than Christ, the firm foundation? Have we chosen to go to a different house, so to speak, as opposed to the household of God? Have we chosen to build our own place of worship unto those things as opposed to the worship of God in the life of faith? It's easy to see how oftentimes these noble things that Psalm 119 instructs us with, you know, the reading of scripture, just this continued spirit of prayer, day and night, and even, of course, awe before the living God, these noble causes that we are set out to do as believers, it's so easy to see how these things can become swept away by the things in our own hearts that cause us to neglect them. These false treasures, things that moth and rust will so easily destroy in the end. So church, recognize that within our own souls, as we're doing a hard analysis of these things, recognize that the snares of lust in particular, or greed, or pride, or self-love, are often the very core things that tempt us, generically speaking, away from a life of faith. How are these things even tempting us to be led astray from the household of God and worship of him? Well, to think about it in a different way, I think it's important for us to recognize that our desire to answer these things, to maintain the integrity of our home, our spiritual home, our life of faith, uh, in order to maintain that integrity, our desire, first and foremost, must be to be in the word of God routinely and regularly. It must be, first and foremost, to understand that we ourselves need that spiritual refreshment by him in his living word as it's opened and as we meditate upon it and let our minds be fixed upon the truth of God over and above the things that we hear in this world that cause us to deviate. I mean, how easy is it for us to justify putting off that spiritual washing of the water, the truth of God, as opposed to going about that and prioritizing it? How easy is it for us to go about our daily lives as if we don't need to be readied and made prepared for all that is ahead of us? No one in their right mind would start off the day and you know, not take a shower and not put on the appropriate clothes, you know, walk out with shorts and a t-shirt into the cold weather and go about their lives as if everything is all right in their own right minds without getting their day started off the right way. In the same way, we must be people who are focused and prepared for all that will be there in front of us. Likewise, uh, how can we be mentally and spiritually prepared for all that is about to happen in our daily lives, the conversations, the interactions in which we partake, if we are not being safeguarded, not only by the word of God as we meditate upon it, whenever you feel so led to, to revel in it, whether it be day or night alike, but without also that spirit of fervent prayer throughout the day. 
How else can we be protected and safeguarded and so exemplify the very love of Christ and be protected by it unless we are not given to a spirit of prayer in advance? Furthermore, how can we be filled with joy and peace if not living in light of the awe of God and reveling in him on a daily basis? Again, scripture, prayer, and worship, these things are fundamental to our lives. All of these things and more than are implicit here in Psalm 119. For unless we are rightfully fit for the day ahead and guarded by God's word, we cannot live lives of purity with that intention of pleasing God with how we live or righteousness. And even greater still, if we are not protected by the spirit of God in all of these things, the one who illuminates the word of God to us, who reveals Christ to us as we are reading the word and reminds us that no amount of our own good efforts could ever cause us to be pure, but rather we live in light of that. How, apart from the spirit and the word, could we ever attend to such things in our lives? How could we ever furnish the house of our lives if not for God guiding us? And his blessing. That's essentially what the psalmist is saying here in Psalm 119, verses 9 through 12. God's blessing must be, and in fact it is, upon the life of his people. And so the answer essentially is, how are we going to guard it then? How are we going to revel in the blessing of God and his grace? Well, that's our first point for this morning, the blessing of God. But here we now move into the devotion that is, do God, a faith-filled obedience and devotedness to God that we see here in verses 13 through 16. And so this brings us to a place of faith, moving away from the grace and goodness of God, what he's given to us to ensure and to strengthen our faith. But now we're moving into the side of faith. He says this, and here again from verses 13 through 16, he says this, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, and I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Friends, I don't know about you, but I can just hear the sense of urgency here and devotedness and purpose. I will, I will, I will. Do you also hear that same sense of dedication? See, the writer here is essentially saying, if my life is to be built up like a house before the very sight of God and before my neighbors in such a way that it brings glory to God with how it is manifest and goodness to other people around me as that love for God spills out into their lives, how else can I decorate it or furnish it or set it up for the proper use? if not for God's blessing, and if not for a purposefulness in how we live our lives. Now, the last uh, couple of weeks or so, this idea of furnishing the house of our lives has taken on a whole new meaning. And as I just moved and closed on a new house here in town about a week or so ago, I've been furnishing the house, the actual physical house, of course. And so many of you have already been able to come over. It's been such a joy and privilege to have you over and, you know, little by little, I've been just adding more and more furniture. 
it takes time to get things in order, and right now there are several rooms, actually, that are just very, well, vacant. Uh, there's nothing in there, you know, no dining table, for instance, and things are kind of coming together slowly, but I've been reminded that I need to be, in time, purposeful with how I am furnishing my house. Even before closing on the house itself, I was thinking through, okay, what is going to be the intention or the purpose behind the kind of house that I want to get? Is it going to be one that can only accommodate myself and maybe have a little bit of space just to move around the house a little bit and not be too uh, confined? Or is this going to be a house in which dozens of people could potentially come over, hopefully? That's the kind of house that I was looking for. I wanted to find something that could host people, meaning all of you, really. <laughs> so as a quick little plug, by the way, I'd love to plug <laughs> our community group that is going to be launching in another three weeks, you know, April 11th. Uh, it's going to be in the evenings, and uh, we already have several wonderful leaders right here that will be helping me in leading this as I am able to host it at my house in the unfinished basement right now. <laughs> well, mostly finished. But uh, anyways, as I was thinking through these things, you know, realizing I need to have intentionality about how I'm furnishing my own house, I've also chosen to personalize it, to, to decorate it in such a way that it's inviting for people. It's something that is desirable. You actually want to be there, you know? But I was also thinking as I was closing on a house, okay, what is the neighborhood around me like? Before I actually seal the deal and sign on the dotted lines, who are the people that I'll be interacting with as I move into that neighborhood? And by God's grace, like that neighborhood where I'm living at now is just filled with so many wonderful families. I've only gotten to say hi to a couple of them so far, but these are people that I hope to invite to come worship with us, people that I hope would even be here in the coming Sundays, Lord willing. Many of them, I'm sure, have been distanced because of COVID over the last year. But hopefully many will even come. And I say all this not to set forth some unrealistic expectation for anybody, but rather these are things that I've had to personally prioritize in my own life, just as way of an example of how this might look. And so I say this because as we are a church plant here at Christ's Covenant, a mission church in status, but on mission together in a very hope-filled way with the mission of bringing glory to Christ in all things and in being a light and like a city upon a hill that cannot be hidden before this town of Culpeper. How are we here at Christ's Covenant going to be a people who are so marked by the grace of God, so marked by his blessing, which we just read about in the preceding verses, that it cannot be hidden. That this awe-filled worship and wonder before Christ, our Savior, cannot be hidden from those with whom we interact here in the community. How will we choose to be purposeful and intentional as we go about our lives? How will we live, practically speaking, on mission? Although time would, of course, fail us to go into all kinds of methodologies and how we can approach these things, and we'll have time, of course, much time later on over the next several weeks to talk about specifics, especially outside of the pulpit itself, I do want to put that bug in our ear, so to speak, because I want us to begin thinking that way. We are a church plant. We are a missional church. We have been given the mission of God. We've been given the invitation to join him in that so praise be to him. My prayer for us as a church is that we would be people 
who are so deeply enthralled by the beauty and the glory of Christ that we cannot help but be a light in this community. And I pray that in order to maintain that sense of devotedness unto God, a sense of dedication to him, as the psalmist himself says, all these I will statements, I will, I will, I will, I pray that we ourselves would be people who are marked by these dedications to God. And certainly we will fail, we will falter in our dedication to him. And he knows that. We will not do this perfectly, and that's okay. But rather, will we take it upon ourselves as a church plant to be about this mission of bringing fame and glory to our living Savior? I think in order to safeguard us in this intention, in this purposeful pursuit, we would do well to safeguard our souls. We would do well to be mindful of daily our need upon the meditation of Scripture our need to be in a constant spirit of prayerfulness, of praying for God to reveal to us through his word and how he leads us throughout the day, how to be conversational with people in our community as is needed. How to be a people who enjoys, as we all do, I know, from even personal experience, the fellowship of us as a family, a household of faith, and so welcome others into our midst in time and bring new members and even visitors to join and be a part of what God is doing here. I would encourage us to prioritize, of course, honest hard work in how we go about our various employments. Or if you're a student or a child, how you go about the things that your parents have given you to do. To honor God in such a way that we also not only honor him, but even enjoy his creation. And so may we be about these things biblical justice or doing right and God's mercy. Justice and mercy. My friends, I believe we must establish patterns of righteous living in the here and now. Again, it's not for our own sake. It's not to earn some kind of status or favor before God and we never want to confuse the two. But those in Christ will desire to live righteously. We will desire to live lives that are marked by a response to God's blessing and grace. And so may we be people who are just enamored with the knowledge of God in all things. May we be people who establish these patterns of righteous living, though difficult as they are to develop, so that they might safeguard us, as Proverbs 2 tells us, that they might safeguard us even years down the road. We must be people who are not just marked by, again, a knowledge of God or an assumption of the gospel as just a pet word within our church, but truly revel in the mysterious gospel every single day. That Christ, true God of God, became man in our place to die for our sins and to be raised again to newness of life, so giving us life. The simple gospel message that is a treasure trove of his grace toward us through Christ must be front and center as we move forward as a church. For friends, what else can preserve not only a whole church, but even a young man or a woman, as the proverb, or as the psalmist says rather, from these troubles? What else can preserve us individually, but even corporately? but for 
the word of God. As Christ told his disciples in John 15, verse 3, he kind of paraphrases this very psalm right here. He says, you are clean, or purified if you will, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, this message concerning Christ's salvation given to us will keep us set on the path of righteousness. It will keep us set toward a desire for purity, for holy living. Christ also told his disciples in John 17, verse 17, uh, praying for them, really, rather, to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So may we be a people who are marked by Christ, our life, Christ, the truth, but also Christ who is the way. May we build the figurative houses of our lives and live with such purpose and intentionality and mission and so build these things upon nothing less than the very knowledge of God in Christ. For this knowledge of God only comes to us through his word by the Spirit who reveals this to us. But may we be devoted to these things. Again, in response to his blessing, to his grace, may we be a devoted people. People who live with determination. People who not only steward the truth, who love it, but who choose to speak the truth and love within our own community and within this household of faith. As Charles Spurgeon said of Psalm 119, that famous preacher, he said, the Bible must be your chart, your course of action. It must be your chart. And he says, be watchful to keep it or to safeguard it. But friends, how can we keep or guard the scriptures and hide God's word in our hearts appropriately so and so abide in the truth when we know that temptations and the temptations within our own souls and our tendency to become so distracted confronts us on a daily basis? How can we continue to attend the word of God when we might feel depleted at times, deflated, as if we have no strength within ourselves? Well, ironically enough, the more and more you revel in the mystery of God's word given to us, this message concerning Christ on every page of scripture, all the more will that actually fuel your fire, your desire for him to be faith-filled. See, the answer for us when we feel the distractions and the temptations is not become discouraged, to not say, okay, I've, I've failed and I'm done, I'm, I'm tired of trying but rather to run to Christ in the gospel, to run back to the word, and to even block out time to focus in on it, to truly revel in it, and to recognize Christ for who he is, the object of our faith, our forerunner, the way, the truth, and the life. Christ Jesus is not only the way of wisdom in how we ought to build our homes, but he's also the very path of righteousness, the one that leads us forward, our forerunner. Christ Jesus is our savior who will continue to pilot you, believer, through thick and thin. He will pilot you forward 
through the deepest of darkness, through the weariness that you experience in your soul as you rest in him. He will continue to pilot you forward in even your times of utter loneliness or despair that you might feel. For he himself is the word incarnate who guides us daily as a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. So will we look to him? Will we look to Christ, who is the fountain of life? As we conclude, I would like to put this thought before us, that as we attend to the word of God and are so led by it in prayerful devotion to the reading of scripture within our own daily walk, to a prayerful spirit of contemplation and soulfulness toward God as we lift up our souls to him in prayer day by day, and as we revel in his goodness and grace and a sense of ardent worship before him, may we be people who are so then guarded by these things. And may we be never people who are left to tend to these core elements of the Christian faith, how to build your house, these how-tos, out of a sense of roteness or like a chore. Rather, may we see them as a delightful duty, a time to spend in communion with God in faith. So may we be a people who so daily read and hear of Christ, so led by the Spirit, and so be driven to furnish the figurative houses of our souls with his grace and his blessing. With that in mind, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the very one from whom all blessings flow. We thank you that in Christ Jesus, we have just an endless bounty. Lord Jesus, we thank you that the gospel provides us not just a longing for you, not just a knowledge of our sin, not just a sense of utter despair in our own souls as we recognize that we ourselves cannot keep our own path or way pure, but rather the gospel is good news. The gospel is that news of Christ who loved us and who gave himself for us. The gospel is refreshment to our souls. It is like milk and honey that we might take and enjoy. Father, I ask that as we go about our week, this very, these very uh, coming few days, may we be people who are safeguarded by your word. May we meditate upon the truth of scripture. May we foster a spirit of prayerfulness. And may we live our lives in a sense of awe and wonder before you. For you alone, O Lord, can work this mighty work within us. And so we ask all this by your spirit, in Christ's name, amen.